Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley here. It's time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And uh, today uh, we've invited back uh, Tyler Todd, who's our immigration attorney. And obviously the topic and the issues associated with that topic uh, is immigration. So welcome back, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Always glad to be here. Well, there's so much going on. And we're, again, uh, we're getting so many questions coming in to the studio uh, asking about various aspects of immigration. So that's why I tapped on it. I, I know you've been flying around the country and I Finally, I, I, I found out from your secretary or your, excuse me, your administrative assistant indicating he's going to be back sometime Wednesday. I said, okay, I'm going to send him an email. <laughs> That's why I I've been I, uh, traveling uh, probably too much, to be honest. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be home. <laughs> and I know that our listeners appreciate every time you're here because you clarify things. And uh, what I'd like to do is just start off where one of the big questions that I've received is on DACA. Okay, uh, for our listeners, and that, that that term kind of like has gone silent. It's kind of like it was really a hot topic one time. So that's deferred action for childhood arrivals. Can you give us a little bit of an update? Where is where is this DACA situation, and uh, just to help us all well, it's understand? A, it's a great question, and I and I wish I had a great answer in regards to at least for our listeners to to have an idea. It has gone silent, and I think that's been that's a reason that's due to, to the fact that not even our government knows what is going on with DACA. Not even our leaders know what's happening with DACA. So the last we spoke, and the last time I was here, yes. we were hoping that we were going to get some clarification from the courts. I think in January they were going to make a decision on on whether the Supreme Court was going to take the lower appellate courses appellate court cases up to the Supreme Court. They they declined to do that. I think that was January 22nd, I, I, I want to wow. say. So that was declined by the U.S. Supreme Court. They haven't entirely uh, declined to take it, but the earliest that they could take it is in October wow. of this year. So in the meantime... Because the Supreme Court has not taken a position and not heard those lower court cases, all of those lower court case decisions are still in effect. Meaning, if you have DACA, whether it's expired or not, you can still submit a renewal application. Oh. Okay? And that's very important. Yes. And, and, And I've sifted through a lot of... DACA focused websites in regards to different um, groups and organizations that support DACA and submit briefs to the Supreme Court and all these different things. And and they're saying, do it now, do it now. If you haven't done it and you're up for renewal, even if it has expired, do it because we just don't know what's going to happen. Oh, that's great advice. So if you're listening and you have DACA, and it's expired or it's up for renewal, file that renewal application immediately. That's great advice. That responds to some exactly some of the questions that I've received, and uh, you've just clarified that. Well, it's really frustrating. I'm glad. Thank you for that. But I, it's really frustrating because we're all looking for what's happening. We're all waiting, and I know a lot of listeners are waiting because yes. of the instability and the and the uneasiness of not knowing. And um, I wish I had a better answer, but that's 
we're we're all on hold until the Supreme Court makes some decisions on those lower court uh, decisions. But the good thing is they have the ability to renew. Unfortunately, because I do get questions oftentimes, I I qualify for DACA, but I didn't do it when I should have, and I didn't do it prior to the 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 alleged termination when all of these lawsuits started being filed. Um, unfortunately, if you didn't apply for DACA before the program was terminated by Sessions and Trump, then you cannot file an application for DACA. Oh, that clarifies the other question. So if you've missed that deadline, if you hadn't previously filed for DACA, you do not, you cannot file a oh. new application, only a renewal application. Thank you for the clarification. Cause that's, I was confused and I wasn't about to respond until I talked to you. It's just really frustrating because a lot of, a lot of people who qualified for DACA didn't file for the DACA program because they were worried and concerned by putting their information with USCIS. I mean, that, there were a lot of people that didn't want to put themselves on the radar and with good reason. Um, but as a result, that it has now precluded them from filing for, for DACA. So they're just standing by waiting for a decision sometime, maybe, maybe in October. Correct. Now, the White House and Congress, they're talking. Um, they are all very keenly aware of the need for immigration reform, for something to be done. Even President Trump in his most recent address made the comment, we want more immigrants coming into this country, but we want it done legally. I'm paraphrasing, but he, and I don't know why, you know, what was that political? Was that, uh, you know, 2020 coming up for reelection to do that? Does he really mean that he wants to um, have immigration reform? Because there's a lot of discussion on temporary work permits. Do we at least provide temporary work permits for those that are here? Hmm. Um, do we have a merit-based system wherein we say, okay, if you're here in this country and you have no previous criminal charges, uh, save maybe you know infractions or really minor misdemeanors, um, then you qualify for a temporary visa um, or a green card. I mean, there's a number of things that they're looking at. And so I know it's being discussed, but they're always looking at it. Yeah. And th- and that's the most frustrating part because we have so many great people in this country um, that have been here for a long time contributing to our communities in, in, a, in a number of, you know, meaningful ways. And they're all scratching their heads and waiting, saying, "What? well, what do we do and how do we contribute more? And how do we um, know that we have a future here? That's uh, That's why you're here. Right. Well, <laughs> I just I, I don't know how to respond. And uh, you always you always respond and give an honest answer and saying this is reality. This is what where we're at. So DACA was one of the top ones. A lot of inquiries, so, a, lot of, a lot of misinformation out there and misinterpretation. I'm glad you're here to clarify these things. So no, absolutely. And, 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 and I'll say this. I mean, we I've been to court recently numerous times on asylum applications. And I've been to court recently uh, and litigated um, 42B cancellation of removal applications. And I can tell you, and I, and I bring those two particular 
uh, forms of relief up today because those are really the most common petitions that many immigrants are looking to use to change their status. Okay, can you repeat those again and can you elaborate a little bit? Sure. So it's one, one is the asylum application. Right. When you're when you're requesting asylum um, and asking. So when I say change of status, what I mean is if you are an illegal immigrant to the United States, that means you have no legal status in this country. Okay. okay. And so when you file an application, such as an asylum application or a 42B cancellation of removal application, you're, you're asking the government to change your status from illegal to legal in some form, okay? And that may be, um, there's also another common application called an I-130 when you have a qualifying relative who's petitioning on your behalf, such as a spouse or a parent who is a, a permanent resident or a U.S. citizen, Okay. And so they are petitioning on your behalf to change your status Got to it. from illegal to legal. Okay. So many people that are here illegally, if they are put into proceedings in some form or another, generally but that's done by being arrested for, for some something. And oftentimes it's a moving violation, whether, you know, going through a stop sign or speeding or it could be domestic violence. It could be DUI. I mean, there's a number of reasons why individuals get arrested. And so if you are illegal in this country and you get arrested, okay, and they determine that you do not have proper documentation, they will put an ice hold on you, okay, and they will put you into proceedings to begin the process of being deported. Wow. Okay. And during the Obama administration, some of the restrictions and or even some of the rules and laws uh, governing those proceedings were a little looser. Okay. Okay. Not to say they weren't followed. When you say looser, are you saying that the administration really guides the interpretation of the policy? Absolutely. That's it. It's the same policy. It's Absolutely, the interpretation of that, policy. and how how it how strictly it's enforced. So when the president just to, I'm get back here, but the president just made this statement last week that it was the Obama administration that uh, jailed all these immigrants. It wasn't me. It wasn't we. It, that didn't make any sense. Right. Okay. So that's that's where we're getting the the strict or loose interpretation of policy and rule. And, and how it's being enforced. Okay. And, and so the DOJ has come down really harshly on our federal immigration judges around the country saying, no more of this, no more of this loose interpretation. You will strictly enforce these policies and these rules. Hence, uh, asylum applications that were being granted or cancellation removal proceedings that were being waived and and people allowing to stay the standards that were previously held to be okay we we feel you've met your burden are no longer being met so um i say that because that's important and the reason why that's important is because many people believe that they can come over and seek asylum 
And unless you have a really compelling reason as to why you have an extreme hardship and why um, you can prove that the government is a, is a, a factor in why you're being uh, driven from your country, asylum is very, very difficult to obtain. Wow. And the reason I'm shaking my head here, I'm thinking of, I got this vision, this image of caravan of people leaving their home countries looking for asylum. That's the term they all use. And what you're telling us, uh, me and the listeners, is that the uh, likelihood of gaining asylum status is very, very low. Very low. And the reason why, so you have to ask yourself, why are they in the caravan? Why did they, what are they fleeing from? Okay. And, and the majority, and of course, it's, it, there's no absolutes, right? Every situation is different. And, and, and so there are some really compelling stories. And I've heard many, many, many compelling stories. And my heart breaks for many of them. Many are fleeing from, obviously, the conditions of the countries in which they're coming from. And many are fleeing from gang violence. Uh, many are fleeing from the lack of uh, work opportunity and the inability to feed their families. And, and so, although that is, for, for many, a very good reason to grant asylum and to help these individuals come in and have a better life, pursuant to our policies and rules, it's not. No, that's the, that's the strict interpretation. That's the strict interpretation. The strict interpretation is... No. And so many, 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 many people come and say, hey, I'm fleeing because I have been threatened by local gangs and being threatened to be forced into a sex industry or to be a drug distributor or whatever it may be. And, and those are, that's a very common scenario. And it's horrible. And, and, at the moment, because of the strict interpretation of our policies and rules, and where, wherever you sit, sit, whatever side on the fence you sit on this, um, because there are compelling arguments on both sides, the strict interpretation is saying that's not good enough for asylum. So that's one. Okay. okay, asylum. And then if you if you are put into proceedings due to um, an arrest or otherwise uh, the government discovering that you are illegally in this country. Sometimes it's expired visas, tourist or a student, okay. and, you, and those individuals stay beyond the, the time in which they were provided. Um, if they find out that you are here illegally due to taxes being filed and there's audits uh, being done. Got it. Okay. okay. Or if, an, if a worker or an, or an employer, for whatever reason, turns the individual in based on false documentation, which eventually leads to an arrest. But, but, but oftentimes it's an arrest. Okay. And, and so prior to the Trump administration, many, many times people would be arrested. When I say people, illegal immigrants would be arrested. And oftentimes they would be processed through the local city or county government, police departments, and would be released. Well, now, sometimes localized departments would be advised and, and they would come and put holds depending on the, the severity of the crime that was being committed. And, and these individuals would be put into proceedings. But now, regardless of the level of the severity of the crime 
or infraction or the arrest or the whatever reason why they were put into ICE custody. Got it. Okay. Because it's not always the same. <laughs> but whatever, regardless of the reason, now they are all being processed and they are all being sent to their local federal courthouse to determine be de- to determine whether one they can or whether they qualify for an immigration bond and two whether they are going to be deported immediately wow and that's the courts the local courts are making that decision not the not the city and state courts but the federal courts federal courts correct and in your experience in the last 3 or 4 months uh, has there been a, a large number of deportations that you've come across tremendous that, amount and you have you seen the acceleration absolutely of, and the numbers of people that are able to either qualify or bond have gone down significantly and then if they do get a bond um we can certainly immigration attorneys can certainly um buy i guess if you will time for the individuals but the ability to change their status through any sort of particular petition unless they have the facts that that merit the change of status which many do not then it's very very difficult so my recommendation would be to many people who are listening be be conscientious obviously in in the attorneys who you retain make sure that you're knowledgeable in what the current status of what's going on with this. And then hopefully if you're listening to the show, that's you're doing that. Um, but make sure that you talk to an attorney that knows what they're doing and can really help you to make the right decision for you and your family on how to proceed. All right. Um, as far as about the attorney, attorney fees, what's the options for people as far as, I, I know they're nervous. This is some of the other questions. Um, uh, everything they make is spent toward paying bills and, and uh, food and clothing. And um, it, Are there organizations out there that have uh, attorneys that are available for the uh, immigrants? There are, and there's a lot of online resources that can provide information and, and help and okay. assistance on how to fill out some of these forms. Sometimes... You know, I would certainly advise seeking at least the counsel of an attorney so that you make sure you, you do it properly because you don't have, oftentimes, and many there are many petitions that you don't have an opportunity to file other documents for reconsideration, meaning I screwed that one up, let me do another one. If you don't provide the information, you don't get a second bite at the apple. Wow. Okay, so that's, I, I'm sensitive to, obviously, the 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 cost of the legal services. I, I'm we are in our office. We try to be very upfront and open and and transparent with our fees and what the client can expect. Um, but there are online resources available. So, and that's why I say you have to just be very careful and you have to be knowledgeable and you have to know so that you have all your options on the table. And and every scenario is different. So every family member has to say, hey, what's what's going to be best for my family. Um, right. If it's a husband that's being arrested and the husband's the sole breadwinner for the family and and the, the opportunity for a change of status simply is not there, well, then you have, to look, you have to look at that. Whether you take a, you know, what's called a voluntary departure and 
and get deported to your home country and then reunite the family there? Or do you go through the appellate process and appellate process and do it again and, and, and maybe something changes? So what I, what I would tell listeners is we're hoping that things will change. We're hoping that things will, um, that, that Congress can, can enact some legislation and some reform that will provide the change of status for those that are here um, with either a temporary work permit or um, maybe a, a permanent resident card. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're hoping, but we just don't know. What's the time from the time you file <clears throat> the paperwork requesting? How much time is, is lapsing now between the time that the paperwork is submitted for requesting a reconsideration so that and that's i'm gonna give you the classic lawyer answer <laughs> yeah, thank you it depends right <laughs> it depends. what did i anticipate right, that was coming? <laughs> right. you should know better um, it depends it just depends what well, depends on the application that's being filed it depends on um you know for example let's say you're going to file uh, an i-130 on behalf of a sibling okay that's a, a qualifying relative meaning I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm filing for my brother who's not a permanent resident or U.S. citizen. He has no status in this country, and I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm going to file on behalf of my brother. We're talking 15 years. And it also depends on the country from which they, they come from. But, but right now, with how backed up the government is and processing applications, if I filed today— you're, for a brother through an I-130 application, you're talking about 15 years. 15 years. For example, I have a cousin from England and my uncle um, from Texas. So she has a U.S. citizen father. And because she didn't file her, her I-130 application before she turned 21, her waiting period was nine years. Nine years. So we And we filed that. Six years ago, so we're still waiting. We're Three meeting. more years, and so she says, you know, for and, and rightfully so, and I completely, I can completely appreciate it. My dad's a U.S. citizen, U.S. citizen, and uh, that doesn't have any bearing. That has no bearing. That's amazing. So, and so, and she's from England, and so that's just, and and I get a calls from all my relatives. What are you doing for your cousin, and well, how do we help imagine. her, and how how do we? There's nothing I can do. We, well, you're an immigration attorney. <laughs> Wave your magic right, wand. Right. I was like, what do, you think I, what do you think I can do? I can't change the rules. So, and that's just, that's the reality of it. So, um, it depends on the application being filed. But if we have, let's say, if you are put in proceedings and you file a 42B uh, cancellation of removal application, meaning, uh, and what that means is oftentimes if you have a husband or a wife that's being... Um, having been put in proceedings and they're, and they're in the process of being deported, then you file an, an application for cancellation of removal. And, and, and typically you're saying to the U.S. government, look, I cannot be deported because I am the sole breadwinner and my wife or my husband is dependent on me for income and my children are dependent on me. And if I'm sent away to my home country then it would create an extreme hardship. Got it. Okay? Well, that, that level, that, that burden of proving extreme hardship prior to, obviously, uh, 
our current administration wasn't nearly as high. Now, proving extreme hardship is virtually impossible. Wow. Now, I'll say that from the perspective of, obviously, the court in which I practice. The court in which I practice is extremely difficult. And that's either in Salt Lake or Las Vegas. And those that these particular courts, and there are federal judges in these courts, are strict instructionists, what we call them, right? Strict interpretation of those policies and rules. We hear and we read and we see other rulings and opinions being rendered from other courts, particularly San Francisco. Got it. Where those judges and those courts are, that burden seems to be significantly less. Understand, so, depending so some, on the courts itself. So sometimes right. the advice to sometimes our clients, and it has to be with merit, of course, and I'm not, I don't want to. Hold that thought. We've got to take, uh, okay. I just got this high sign. We're going to be uh, right back uh, with uh, Tyler Todd, uh, and uh, this is uh, tips, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. We're going to continue with immigration. Welcome back, everybody. It's Bob Oxley in the tips program, and we're talking about immigration. And fortunately, we have uh, Tyler Todd uh, here who is giving us all sorts of great information. And we're going to continue on. Hi, Tyler. Are you ready for round two? Here? I'm ready for round two. Okay, here we go. Uh, we were talking about the courts where we uh, before the break, uh, and you're saying actually we, we say there's a strict interpretation of the policy, and it depends on what court you go to. Like, for instance, you indicated that Salt Lake City and Las Vegas is the primary courts that you're going to and working through, and that's a strict conservative interpretation as compared to the judges and the courts in the San Francisco area. Correct, yeah. So that, I mean, it just depends where you are. As far, if, what, if you're an immigrant and living in certain areas, the more conservative you can anticipate, the more strict the interpretation and the likelihood of being approved. So, I mean, are we? do we have... This is a terrible term to use. Do we have court shopping out there? Well, that's that's one hundred percent, of course. Yes, there is court shopping, and the, and the judges are 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 well aware of it. In fact, I was in a conference up at Stanford Law School uh, two weeks ago with a federal judge on the panel. They're aware of it. Court shopping is not a new um, thing. It's been going on forever, and and so you know many big cases, whether it's tort. Um, cases, medical malpractice cases, class action. I mean, every lawyer is looking for the best venue for their client and, and where judges are looking to make names for themselves. In fact, it was, it was really funny because she brought up a story about, um, this federal district court in Eastern Texas that was just doing criminal, criminal, criminal. And I think they just got really sick of just doing criminal, 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 and so they said, well, let's take, uh, let's take, I think it was, you know, patent work or something. Some, I, I don't remember if it was patent. I don't remember. But let's start taking these other cases. And, of course, they started getting all these other different types of filings. And that was the, the court where all of these other big attorneys and cases were coming in. And, and, and then the question was, well, what, what's the nexus to this court in East Texas? Well, not none other than that they wanted to hear these types of cases and they wanted to get a, a better docket and they wanted oh. to have a little bit more uh, thrill in their lives and so they started saying hey we're going to take these cases and, and and the attorneys were listening wow so does it happen yes 
the judges are aware of it. We're all aware of everyone. It, it happens, of course. So do I um, condone it? Do I recommend for clients listening? No, of course not. We don't do that. But but if you're an individual um, looking to file an application on your own behalf and on your family member's behalf, would I can be considering it? Absolutely. Okay. Which leads me right into the next topic. Uh, term sanctuary uh, cities in the United States. Um, President Trump came out and made it sound like a negative. He says, oh, if you're going to continually uh, complain about immigrants and my stance on strict interpretation of the policy, then maybe we'll just take all the immigrants and put them in the sanctuary cities and let's see how you really like it when you inherit all of these immigrants. And he, of course, he adds on all the negatives along with it for that particular group, the generalizations, which I don't need to get into. But um, ironically, uh, he was actually attacking the Democratic Party, and the response is, hey, we're open. Bring him on in. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit, is this real? Is it just all political rhetoric? Or is that, you, with your experience and background, do you actually see something like this happening? And I mean, I think a lot of it's political rhetoric. I mean, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, you know, again, we have, we're, we're, he's, he's campaign, he's campaigning and fundraising for 2020, right? I mean, that's, that's what he's doing. And, um, if I, just like the res democratic response, I would say, great, let's go. And if that's, if that's position, let's go there. And I, and I, you know, being a, being a, a practitioner and so seeing some of the practical aspects of um, where some of these cases are being filed, where you should be filing, and even some of these uh, communities in which a lot of people live and some of the backlash that they're seeing from maybe more conservative, you know, communities, um, I, I, it's hard to disagree with that. It's, it's hard to say, boy, if it, if it were me. And, and seeing a lot of the challenges a lot of these families go through, um, it's hard to it's hard not to suggest maybe considering that. Okay. And in in all honesty, and and the reason why is because even though we ha we live in particularly in this community in a great community, in a very safe community, and it's very desirable in which to live, mm -hmm. which is why we have a lot of maybe illegal immigrants that do live here it do some of these cities and these communities do you have a greater target bigger target on your back oh i see what you're saying yeah you do yeah you do unfortunately yeah and and again there's compelling arguments on both sides i can appreciate that but um you have a you have a greater target a bigger target on your back so that that then says okay well for the benefit of my family and for the benefit of my well-being, do I consider even myself going to some of these sanctuary cities and some of these locations that I uh, have better protection, better freedoms, more liberal interpretations? And if I do need to get into the court process via an application, you know, am I going to have a better chance of, of actually getting a change of status? Okay. And so as a practitioner... It's 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 hard to ignore that. You have to consider that, and I think that's something that a lot of um, I would hope that attorneys are are advising because that's something that people need to be considering. And if you're listening to the show, you need to be considering it also. Okay. 
Can you explain, let's say that uh, there, let's just take a scenario. Uh, someone uh, is uh, a legal immigrant comes across and this, the sanctuary city plan is put into action. What actually happens? Are they are shipped to, let's say, San Francisco? Are they incarcerated there? Are there a process they go through? Or There's a lot of questions along that line. There's a lot of questions along that line. So, And again, classic, it depends. It depends on if they are put into proceedings in some capacity. Um, a, lot of, a lot of offices in these sanctuary cities are just checking in and reporting. They just want to know where you are and that you're there. That's it. Um, and so it just depends on, um, if they've been put in proceedings, where they are in those proceedings, and then what are those particular offices, local offices, how they're responding to those. And so it varies from state to state and county to county. In fact, I think what I looked earlier, I think we only have, um, eight states in this, in the country that offer sanctuary cities. Wow. So uh, the list is California, Colorado, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, and Vermont. That's it. That's it. Eight out of 50. Wow. So, you know, and obviously California being the biggest. And so, you know, we're close to California. It's hard not to suggest to some of our listeners that that may be in proceedings or 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 have reason to to look for that alternative or option, it would be one I'd be considering. Okay, got a question for you here. It uh, a statement came out from uh, uh, Attorney General William Barr, who's been in the news recently. Oh yeah, last <laughs> and he said that migrants who have shown credible fear of persecution or torture if they return to their countries will be jailed indefinitely in the United States under the Trump administration's latest effort to stem the surge of asylum seekers arriving at the border. What does all that mean? Are we talking about anybody coming across that border that asks for asylum and they're going to incarcerate them? That's what, they're, the that's, what, that's, what, that's what they're trying to suggest. And that's what they're trying to, you know, I think it's another administration Trump scare tactic, right, to prevent people from coming over. Because, like I said earlier, and we talked about this around the first part of the show, Yes, that is a one of the most common applications filed by illegal immigrants. If they are, if they're caught at the border intending and trying to cross over, then they can seek application or seek asylum. Okay. What that means is they get processed and then they get released and they're able to come into the country and they live until they have their first individual hearing, their merit hearing and, or master's hearing, and then they have an individual hearing. But oftentimes that takes, you know, before they have, so they have a master's hearing, then they have to go to the individual hearing. It takes about a year and a half. Wow. And then they have the opportunity to appeal that individual hearing and that, can oftentimes be another year to two years. So what, what, what Barr is saying is we're going to stop this and nip that in the bud because too many people are coming and they're being told just plead asylum. Right. And then they're, they're giving it, I don't want to say a free ticket to live here, but that's what's happening. And so that can be indefinitely. What he's saying is in incarceration indefinitely. That's the attorney general makes this statement? It's crazy. 
So what are they going to do? I mean, that's the, that's the question. We're going to just in, we're going to overload our jails and our our um, you know holding detention centers and and then what? So I mean, do we do we give them due process and and have an, a, a true opportunity to present their case, whether they qualify for asylum or not? And so what he's saying is we're going to hold them in jail for that year and a half or three year period until they actually have their opportunity to be heard. But when I said was when I was talking earlier about that 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 burden of what we have to prove for asylum, the credible fear. Um, an extreme hardship in the 42B cancellation removal. That burden is overwhelming, huh? insurmountable. <laughs> so you'll come and say credible fear, credible fear, but the credible fear is typically gang violence or some, you know. And, and, and so that's the hard part. What is because what does credible fear mean to you? Well, a, a fear to me. I mean, what it means to me is it's a fear that's legitimate and sincere and. And I really don't want to go back because if I go back, there's a good chance that I'm going to get killed, killed, or tortured in some capacity, or extorted to pay gang members to stay away from my businesses and keep my family safe. Got it. To me, the fear is credible, and these people are proving credible fear, but it's not rising to the level of credible fear, whatever that means, pursuant to our strict interpretation of our current precedent okay let me let me give you <clears throat> we're, we're talking about everything but last time you were here uh what was really critical was the children being separated from their families and not just separated i don't think people understood that they think when they think separated they mean like from one room to another room or in a different building in the same locale no they're being shipped out to new york and new jersey and all over the, the country, literally, and uh, they, they meaning the Homeland Security Group, even even admitted that their, their paperwork was, they got caught off guard. They don't know where a lot of these children are, trying to match them up. They don't know if the parents have been deported, and so these children are still sitting there. Uh, can you give us an update of what that situation is as far as the children? I mean, are, are we still separating them, number one? Number two is... I mean, at one time, there was a commitment made by the federal government they're going to rejoin the children with their parents. And I just saw something on uh, the news uh, 24 hours ago that a father, it's been a year and a half since he saw his son. They actually got together for the first time seeing each other for a year and a half. Can you imagine being a young person, scared to death, did not speak English, and uh, being separated from your father? And not knowing what's going to happen to him, or what's happened to him, and and more importantly, what's going to happen to me. Uh, can you give us the listeners any kind of an update? Where are we at with this, and is that situation still existing? And, and I think it's still existing. I think the, I mean, obviously the government is well aware of the concern and the and the and the rightful um, outrage by many, many, many people around the country around the world that it's happening it shouldn't be happening and but a big part of it is documentation and so a big part of uh, if they are separated in any capacity at the border which is i believe is happening and and, it, and there's no way of identifying who belongs to who because many of these people are coming in without any documentation whatsoever because mm. they don't have passports from their home countries they don't have ids from their home countries 
So they, they come in and they say their names and they give their birth dates and, and they have some identifying documentation, if, if any. And so when these children are being separated from their families, it's really hard to get them back together because they don't know who they belong to. Yeah, this example that I gave you, the father who doesn't speak English was given a document. He actually signed his own deportation document. He was unfamiliar. That's what it was. Well, that's was exactly saying. what they're doing. They're doing it in jails across the country. They're doing it at the borders, and that's exactly what's happening. And that story's not hit the press. I mean, we're hitting, getting bits and pieces on a case-by-case situation, which what you're saying is this is an ongoing process, and even though they say we're going to investigate this one incident that had got press, it's going on on a daily basis. I think so, 100%. And then the children that are left behind are shipped out. Correct. Now, are there... And, and again, because there's no, there's no, there's no relief available for these individuals pursuant to the strict interpretation of our current rule of law. So many people, even, even many people that come over uh, to this country illegally and they have U.S. born children. That many, many people believe if I'm here longer than 10 years and I have a U.S.-born uh, child and I'm a good person, I can, I can change my status. Yeah, I've heard that same rumor. I heard seven years, I heard 10 years, that automatically your status changes As, because you've proven, given evidence that I'm a good citizen and I work hard and I pay my bills and my taxes. And so... It's absolutely false. It's false. So if you're listening and Another you have myth. some... If you've heard a rumor that I, I've been here and I've paid my taxes and I've been working and I have no criminal charges and I've been 10 years and I have U.S. born, uh, U.S. citizen children born here in this country, you do not, it does not give you a change of status. And I've heard that. Okay. So that's very I'm, important. Thank you for dispelling that myth because and, I heard the same thing. And so again, and the only way that that you have the ability to change your status is to wait till your child turns 21. Then your child can petition on your behalf, but you still have to go through a tremendous procedure of asking the government to waive and pardon your being in this country illegally. So you still have to go through a big process of, 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 proving to the government why they should let you stay even though you have a U.S. born child that's now the age of 21. If you do that prior to the child turning 21, the only way that you can change your status is if you are being put in proceedings. Oh boy. So if I'm an attorney and you come to me and you say, hey, I've been here 10 years, my, my child was born or my children were born here in the U.S. and they're 10, 7, and 5, what can I do? I would say nothing. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't file anything on your behalf because I can imagine the look on their face when they're asking you that question. In right. response. And I and it and it's not I I I fully recognize it's not a response they want and it's not one I want to give. But the only way that we could ask the government to change their status would be to file a petition on their behalf. But as a practicing attorney, I would never do that because I'm putting them into proceedings and telling the government, hey, government, we have an illegal immigrant here. 
change their status, of which there's no qualifying relief available. And now I've just put them into proceedings to, to put them on track to be deported. Oh, my gosh. So this is some of the stories. Some of the people are so hesitant to get in the system and even apply. This is why. This is why. That is exactly why. So unless you've been put into proceedings or unless you have a qualifying relative who is a permanent resident or U.S. citizen, or unless you are a pro golfer or pro athlete or data scientist that that is unique to a particular field in bioengineering or neuros, whatever, that you could qualify for, you know, an employment visa, or unless you've been and this is a big one, so I want everyone to listen in. Unless you've been a victim of a violent crime, which there are many people that have been victims of violent crimes, and there's a U visa application that they can file hmm. that would change their status. Okay? okay. But unless you have certain qualifications or been a victim of a crime or have a qualifying relative, at the moment, there is not an application that I would file on behalf of an illegal immigrant and expect to change their status. Wow. That's shocking. It's tough. It's, uh, that's what you mean by a strict interpretation of the immigration policy. It's what's sad. Now, are there applications being granted? Sure. Locally? Out of Las Vegas or Salt Lake? Not very many, but those that are have some really wild and unique fact patterns and scenarios that that would that merit it but that's the hard part is most right i'm generalizing i i recognize that most who have similar backgrounds they're coming fleeing you know impoverished communities or gang-ridden communities that's not going to be sufficient that's Guess what? Time's up. Ah. We're moving forward. <laughs> uh, we do have a, a, a couple minutes here before I have to really move it off. But is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Um, I appreciate you being here, uh, and you've been just great as usual. Um, uh, we we certainly uh, think things are getting more complex. The interpretations are strict. Um, you've been uh, so great giving information. Is there something you want to say to? People out, out there that are immigrants, um, that is outside of all the great advice that you've given over the last hour. Um, for is, is there any encouragement to, to move forward? I guess the biggest advice would be to meet someone like yourself, immigration attorney, before you make any moves and dispel myths and find out what reality is and then move forward as well, far as appropriate forms. Well, that's a great question, and, and I hopefully I haven't. Uh, <laughs> when you say provide encouragement, I feel like I've been such a naysayer today and, and doom and gloom. That's and, my fault. I, no, <laughs> I threw no, you into this. So. No, you're fine. And, and look, it's not all bad. It's not. And there are opportunities and there are chances and there are things that, that attorneys can do. Um, but I think it's just have eyes wide open, right? And just be familiar with the current status Um I don't want to be discouraging. I just want to have have proper 
and reasonable expectations so that you as a listener understand the process. Got it. Meaning um, there's a lot of, you know, if you're being, if you're reading on a website, oh, contact our office because we can do this, this, and this. Well, I'd be leery. Okay. Right? That's the kind of advice. And if, if, if you're being told, no problem, I know somebody that changed their status. Well, I'd want to know when and how and what. I understand. Right? And where. And so there's a just, just, a, just so the, the, I, hopefully the theme for today is just be aware and be yes. um, conscientious of kind of the current climate. It's not great, but also it's not horrible either. Fantastic. So. Thank you, Tyler Todd, for taking your time out of your busy schedule. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a conclusion of uh, tips again for this week, topics, issues, and positions. And we've been very fortunate to have Tyler Todd here give us an update as to uh, immigration policies by the U.S. And I'm really grateful, and I know our listeners are again. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, you can uh, listen to this program at 3 o'clock every Friday and rebroadcast it at 5 o'clock on Saturdays on 100.3 FM KDXI, as well as you can take a look at us on Facebook, Twitter, Podbean. Uh, Alexis is there. You can say, hey, Alexis, uh, just say tips, Oxley, and they'll give you a whole list. You can say Oxley and say immigration or Todd immigration, and that'll be it. So. I uh, really appreciate you being with us again. Uh, to my to our listeners that have called in, uh, we're listening to you, and that's what these programs are all about. And we had a number of questions come about the immigration, so that's why we've invited uh, today. We invited uh, Tyler Todd to come in and give us an update, and he's done a great job. And thank you so much for being here once again. I'm happy to help. Glad to be here at any time. So, all right, all right. we'll we'll see you uh, next week on Tips. Goodbye now.